we are going to continue on in our Mark series here today. We are in week 38, I peaked, and that is awesome. I've ne- we've never been able in the history of 22 years here at Alpine Church been able to say we are on week 38. So from the first Sunday in January, we're going through the gospel of Mark, and it's been awesome because Mark is the, the gospel in action, and he just does these jump cuts more like a movie than really a book. And it's been great to be a part of this. And today we're going to continue on in our three-part trilogy. There's three questions that Jesus is asked. Two weeks ago we looked at the Pharisees, and they wanted to try to trap Jesus, and they were looking for any and all ways, so they thought, let's throw some questions at him. And we're going to try to arrest him, put him on trial, and then sentence him to death. Now, he's just a few days away from this, but the Pharisees failed. And they asked, they, they, if you remember, if you were here, they used money and the taxes and, and all those things. And then last, trap him, asking him a question about the resurrection of the dead. And again, they're wanting him to say something that they, ah, we got you, Jesus. And they want to throw him in jail and they want to sentence him to death. But here's the thing, if you haven't picked up on this, in all the interactions that Jesus has had with the religious people, the Sanhedrin, challenging God in the flesh, the author of all scripture. And if you're going to challenge God about his word, you are going to lose. You are going to be defeated. And we see this in scripture today. But I will say, part three today, it's a little bit different. There's a different heart behind this question than the heart of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. But before we get to that, I want you to answer this question. How well do you know your Bible? So by the way, today we're going to be looking at Mark 12, 20 verses 28 through 34. But how well do you know your Bible? All right, so we're going to have a little bit of fun this morning. We're going to do a little Bible quiz, okay? Here's the first question, but here's the answers. There's a hint. All the answers are E's, all right? So if you mention a name, make sure it has an E. Here's the first question. Which Old Testament prophet was taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire? All right. Many of you knew that. If you got that one wrong, just wait till you hear it aloud. All right. Here's the second question. Which prophet saw a vision of valley of dry bones coming to life? Amen. Yes, the answer is Ezekiel. We have some people that know. All right. Who was the Jewish queen who saved her people from genocide? You are correct. Esther, man, you guys are so smart. We might just need to pack up and go have breakfast and beat all the Baptists <laughs> to the IHOP. All right, here's question number four. Going to the New Testament, who was the mother of John the Baptist? Yes, Elizabeth. Now this one, save the toughest for last. Who fell asleep during one of Paul's long sermons and fell from a window? Bam, we got you on this one. (laughs) True story. Eutychus is his name. Go look up in Acts to find out the details. The reason we started with that question and the reason we had a little bit of fun with this Bible quiz is because what we see in Scripture these last two weeks, and actually you can go back really in the, the entire Gospel of John when it came to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the scribes who are going to be looking and focusing on today, is that there are people who know God's word. They know it. 
But yet, here's the truth about this. You can know God's word and be far from God. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these last two weeks, it's a great example. They were the expert on scriptures. But they know God's word. But as Jesus kept saying, you are far from God. And so I think the same thing can even happen in today's day and age where many people can know a lot about God's word, but they're missing the whole point. They're missing the whole point of Jesus' coming and connecting the dots. And some people like, you'll hear, and there are certain religions that just focus on the Old Testament. Or there's some religions that don't believe in some of the New Testament type details. And then there's people, even Christians today, well, I only really want to trust in the, the red words in the Bible. And there's just all these different things. And the red words of the Bible are the words that Jesus spoke. But it's interesting to me that a lot of Christians love Bible knowledge. And here's the first thing I want to say. There is a lot of healthiness. There's a lot of health about knowing Scripture. It's useful for us. It helps us through life. We're supposed to challenge everything. So understanding truth and understanding the lies of the, the world that the culture brings to us. And so I, I want you to understand knowing God's word is important and it's good, but it is possible to know God's word and be far from God. And so as we start with this question, we're going to really see this today. And we've been looking at it for the last two weeks that my hope is that Knowing God's word leads to something. It leads to something. It's just not information. It's just not information that we hear, and that's all we do with it. And as we get in today's lesson, we're going to look more and more about that. So let's get to the text today. If you have your Bibles, again, open it up, chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 28. And here's what it says. It says, And one of the scribes came up, and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? So this is on the heels of last week. The Sadducees were just talking about or challenging Jesus on the resurrection of the dead, and they were giving all these analogies, trying to trap him. And there was a scribe there, and it's interesting, in the first week it was a group of Pharisees, last week it was a group of Sadducees, but there's a difference here. One of the scribes and these three parties made up the Sanhedrin, which are going to sentence and put Jesus to death at the, at the hands of the Romans. He recognized Jesus. He recognized that he was communicating about the resurrection. And he says he answered them well. This is important to understand because this scribe is not coming to Jesus trying to trap him. He's there, he's apart, he's hearing Jesus, the resurrection for the dead. And so he comes with a different heart because he's not trying to trap Jesus then with this question. And he asks this, which commandment is the most important of all? Now understanding the scribes, they would be like attorneys. And these scribes were really, spent all their time in the first five books of the Bible. And we see that even though he knew it well, even though this scribe was an expert when it came, he asked this question about his expertise. And he's asking Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? 
Because in the Torah, there was 613 commandments. 300, 353, no, 365. I just forgot how many days in the year there were. 365, because there's one prohibition for every day of the year. And the prohibitions are the things not to do. And then there's 248, which were positive commandments. So there's 613, which this scribe would have very well known. And he's asking, what is the most important of them all? And to understand the Greek and the Hebrew, a better translation of understanding, he's asking, what is the commandment that supersedes all 613 commandments? What is the commandment that really you could share with somebody and it really captures all 613 commandments in one statement. That's what the question is really getting to. And he is an expert, an expert on the law. And he asked this question. And so here's Jesus' reply. The most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. So this should sound very familiar. So we're in the Gospel of Mark, but what Jesus is quoting is Deuteronomy 6, and he's quoting the Shema prayer, which, by the way, this man would have said, thousands of times in his life, possibly that day, that morning, possibly with his children. Even the Jewish children would say this prayer twice a day. So Jesus gives them something that not only adults would know, but even the children would understand this Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. And I just want to point this out. We don't have time this morning to go through all this, but we have a great series. It's a Hebrew word study where we start with the listen, and then we talk about loving God in your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. All those details, it's a great study. If you want to go through that, just go to pursuegod.org slash Shema, and you'll be able to go through this word study. It's, it's great, because this is the greatest commandment. This is what God says, Jesus is saying, that supersedes all the commandments that exist. Not only in the Old Testament, but the New Testament as well. And so I want to start with that first word, listen. We are going to just focus on that for a second because Shema means listen, but it also means listen and obey. There's this action step. So you hear God's word, but it leads to action. It leads to living it out. What Jesus is saying here, here's the greatest commandment. I want you to hear this. Listen, O Israel. Listen, Alpine Church, West Haven. Listen to this. I want you to know that there is one God, the Lord alone. And then then he says, here's your part. And I want you to live this out. And you must love your Lord, your God, with all your heart. Not 10%, not 50%. And let's just put that argument. You can only go to 100%. You 110 and 120% people, it's not real. (laughs) You get capped out at 100, okay? But that's what Jesus is getting at here. I want all of your heart. I want all of your soul. I want all of your mind. I want all of your strength. He's not interested in just a piece. 
what he's getting at here is he says, I want you to make me a major priority in your life. Love me like I love you. Love me with all your heart. Not just for one hour on Sunday. Every day of your life. So when we first read this, it sounds loving and it sounds great and it sounds, oh yeah, I think most of us could say, oh, I love God with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength. You know how hard it is to live this out? Because I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to ask us two questions, including myself as I was preparing. Throughout the week, throughout the week, 168 hours, say we're going to sleep about 56 of those, right? 110, 120 hours-ish, depending on how long you sleep. How often are you seeking God this way? With all your heart, with all your soul. Think of time throughout the week. Now, amen, we are here one hour. If you serve, maybe two to three hours here. But God says it's so much more. I have so much for you more than just outside of a Sunday service. But when Monday comes and work hits and the schedule gets busy, and our favorite shows are on. Some of us, are, we can't wait to get home to really focus on the NFL ticket and the NFL game. That's our favorite team. I have one. I get it. But what God is saying here, what Jesus is saying, I want you to love me with all my heart. Do you spend time throughout the week seeking me, to hear from me by getting in, in the word of God? That's the word of God is good. It's helpful. Do you come to God saying, God, I need to talk to you. I have to hear from his children. How often, these spiritual disciplines, how often are you really dedicating and making time? Sunday is not the only time to worship. Throughout the week, do you worship God? That's what it means to love God with your whole heart, with all of your heart, all of your soul. So we, we run this test. Is Jesus the number one priority in our daily lives, not just for the hour and a half on Sunday mornings? So that's the first thing. The second thing, do you really value God? Do you value Jesus? Because if you go home and look at your bank statement, it will tell you what you value. And we talked about this two weeks ago. And many of us are going to struggle with this one. Are you really surrendering your entire life and your finances to Jesus? When it means loving God with all your heart, it's all your resources, it's everything you have. And when you think of how generous God is to you, you have everything because God is providing and generous to you. Can you with confidence say yes? I know some can, but some can't. And maybe there's changes in our daily schedules. Maybe there's things in our finances that we need to really focus on and get in place so that we can be generous givers to God. But this is really hard to obey because it's so challenging. Because Jesus says, I want you all. I want the wholeness. And that's what the Shema word study talks about. I want all of you to really worship and surrender to me. Every part of you, I want you to surrender it. Surrender it to Jesus. That's what this first command as Jesus is talking about. And this is that vertical line between us and God. And before we can get to part due of what Jesus is about to say, because this is a two for one, we have to get this right. 
We have to really focus on the vertical line between us and God. And here's all of what we need to do. Love God with all our hearts, all our soul, all our minds, and all our strength. And once that happens, because now we're right with God, then we can look at the horizontal relationships. But he says, you got to do this first. Don't, don't half-heartedly pursue me. Don't half-heartedly, he says, if you pursue me with a wholeheartedly you know, opportunity, you will find me. He wants our whole heart. And many of us really are going to be challenged by this. And I just want you to know that God is a forgiving God. He's patient, but really focus on these details of really pursuing God wholeheartedly. Now, what Jesus is doing here is he's summarizing the first four commandments of the Ten Commandments. The first four all have to do with God. And that's what he's summarizing here through the Shema. And that's that vertical and now he's going to add the second, which is just as equal, just as important. He says this, the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So not only do you have to love God, now he's saying you have to love people. And for some of you, that's going to be really challenging. Because you know who we are. We're a bunch of messed up people. But Jesus is so, he is so clear after we just read about how he wants all of us, the wholeness of who we are, to really love and worship him. Now he's saying this is just as important. You have to love people. And he's quoting this love your neighbor as yourself is Leviticus chapter 19. In Leviticus chapter 19, we're going to take a look at a lot of that scripture here in just a second, in verse 18 quotes this. And to kind of set the stage of what Leviticus 19 is, is it's how to be in relationship with one another. And that's going to be great to walk through this. Now, so now what Jesus is doing is he's summarizing the last five. Commandment number five of the Ten Commandments is talking about the household which does apply to relationships too. But then outside of that are all the interpersonal relationships that we're going to have. And so in Leviticus 19, this is how it starts. And we'll get to that second part of the second, of really the first commandment. Moses, he's talking to Moses, give the following instructions to the entire community of Israel. You must be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Let's stop right there for just a second. So he's about to list out, here's how you're going to live in relationships with one another. I'm going to give you all these instructions, and I want you to listen and obey them, live them out. But he starts here by saying, I am holy, and therefore I want you must be holy. Like followers of Christ appear to be set apart, just like God is holy, he's set apart from us. He wants his people because we are to look different in community. We are to look different and be different in relationships. In the first verse here in Leviticus 19, before he shares all the details about how we're going to be in relationships with one another, he's setting the stage. You are to look different within the culture, within the world. There are expectations that I am going to put on you that the other people in the world, they don't have any of these expectations. All these instructions, all these commands that I'm about to give you, this is how I want you to live with one another. 
And I want you to be holy because I am holy. And I want you to be set apart from the rest of the world. And then it goes on. He says, each of you must show great respect for your mother and father. I love that. Because this is talking about, again, we talked about the vertical connection to God. When mom and dad are connected vertically to God, now there is options of success for the family. But that must happen first. When mom and dad are now focused and really shamaing Jesus, really putting him at the front and center of their life, now the family is healthy because mom and dad are vertically connected to God. And that's how he starts off. He starts off with the family. It's one of the most important structures in all of, of all of humanity. And it's not by mistake that he starts with the family. And then he jumps right in. Now we're going to jump up to, to verse 9. When you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along edges of the fields. And do not pick up what the harvesters drop. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners living among you. When you are right with God and you are really pursuing him, you're going to have a different opinion. You're going to have a, a difference about the poor and the foreigners living among you because it's all about people. It's all about people. And God says, I need you to love one another, love one another as you love yourself. And so it impacts just how we approach. We don't look down upon the poor people or we don't try to put up fences necessarily. Borders are important. But what Jesus is getting at is when you are in a community together that you don't shun anyone, that you don't, you're not against anyone, that you're really loving everyone that is a part of that community, including the poor people, including foreigners. He says, do not steal, do not deceive or cheat one another. He just gets real practical. Followers of mine do not steal, period. We don't deceive. That's the enemy. The enemy, Satan deceives. But followers of mine, and we don't cheat anyone. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not make your hired workers wait until the next day to receive their pay. So here in Leviticus, it's talking about now occupation. It's talking about the workplace. And it's being very clear about don't hold your wages for your employees. So when you are right with God, it's going to affect your workplace is basically what Jesus is getting at. Do not insult the deaf or cause the blind to stumble. I love this. Jesus is always considering the outsiders, the people that are outcasts in society. He's always sticking up for them. Women and children are a part of that as well. I love this. Do not twist justice in legal matters by favoring the poor or being partial to the rich and powerful. Always judge people fairly, regardless of their status, regardless of their financials. Like, always judge people fairly. And then now we're going to get close to the end here in verse 18. But starting with verse 17, do not nurse hatred in your heart for any of your relatives. Confront people directly so you will not be held guilty for their sin. When we see people stumbling, we gently come to them with loving hearts, but we are to confront them. When you have conflict in your relationship, Matthew 18, we go to them. It's different. Followers of mine look different in the world, meaning we are going to confront people. We're going to speak up and speak the truth to people for the sake of healthy relationships. And here it is. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Jesus is quoting Leviticus 18. And what we see here is all these instructions, 
All these instructions that God, and I left a lot out and didn't have enough space and all the slides to be able to put everything in there. But there's so much here. Thousands of years ago was written. Just think if the world did this, how this would transform the world. If we just applied this across the world, it would be, it would be incredible. Jesus is saying, here's what, when you read scripture, I want you to listen. First, listen. And here's all these instructions of how to be in relationships with one another. But don't leave it at just listening. Then put that into action and obey it. So when you listen to the information that we read in Scripture, that information is to lead to transformation. It is supposed to make an impact in our lives where there is change, evidence of change throughout everything we do in our relationships. But don't just listen to it and not apply it to your daily lives. Because he shares more in Matthew about this. Matthew 23, verses 1 through 4. Listen to this. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey what they tell you. What they say, obey it. But don't follow their example. For they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. You see, the Pharisees completely missed the second part of the most important commandment, which is equal to the first, love people. They completely missed loving people. But they knew Scripture that's why Jesus says, you can practice and obey whatever they tell you. They're going to quote scripture. They're going to tell you God's truth. But here's where I draw the line. Do not practice what they teach because they do not get it. They are missing the whole point because that information that they know about scripture in their lives is not leading to transformation. And Jesus says, be careful. Be careful how you handle scripture, but you listen to it and obey it. And one of our hearts, as we kind of leave from here, is we have a great example coming up next Saturday to love on people. A great example to say, I want to invite you to our harvest party from 11 to 1. If you have time, bring the kids. They'll have a blast. Do we love people enough to be invitational? Do we love people enough that might be far from God that this simple invite can really change their path for eternity? I'm telling you, if you've never handed out an invite card, hand one out and see how God can use it. Now, they might not come. That's their part. Our part is to be invitational. So we love God. We love others. And here's how, and it says, And the scribe said to him, You are right. Jesus, you are right. This is so important. The scribe, the expert on the law. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. He understands the oneness of God. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, and here's where it gets really interesting, is much more, 
the scribe, who is, who is the expert on the law with all of the burnt offerings and all of the sacrifice, he says, this is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. You can see this scribe is connecting the dots. And it started with Jesus' answer to the Sadducees. And he says, man, he answered that well. And now we see his heart is softening towards Jesus. And one, you would expect a scribe, part of the Sanhedrin, who now, after hears Jesus, is going to hit him with something else. He doesn't. He says, Jesus, you're right. Jesus, you're right. Jesus, I needed to hear this. This is why I asked the question. I'm understanding who you are now, Jesus. He's getting closer and closer to Jesus. He's connecting the dots. And he's allowing his heart to be softened towards Jesus. And he's seeing God in the flesh for himself. And just how big and important this is for someone who probably entered into this week far from God. Heard Jesus and now his life has been transformed. And we know this because this is Jesus' statement. Realizing how much the man understood, this is what Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. The Sanhedrin's like, we're done. We're done losing. We're going to mail it in. We're not going to ask him any more questions. But ultimately, their will will be done, which is actually God's will. But this scribe figured out who Jesus was. And it's important to understand the Pharisees were looking at their own self-righteousness. You know, they thought they were the religious elite in a way because they were trying to follow all the rules and all those commandments, all 613 in the Torah, they were trying to really model that. They liked to be seen by people when they fasted. They liked to be seen when they were trying to be honoring to God. But they were doing it because they had this inward focus that they were self-righteous. But here's what it says in Matthew 5, verse 24. I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. That's exactly what the, what the Sanhedrin was doing. They were trying to get to heaven. They were trying to get to heaven on, through their righteousness by obeying and by knowing Scripture, but they had the wrong heart. All along, they had the wrong heart. And when you come to faith, it's all about, yes, having the right information, but also having the right attitude, the right heart. When we have that right attitude, that right heart, it says we want to turn from our sin. And we, we have this external focus now on what Jesus did at the cross. We're not looking at any of the works that we're doing because it's not about works, it's by believing. And when we understand that Jesus died on the cross, first we have to recognize we're a sinner. That's the bad news of the Bible. Here's the bad news of the Bible, you're a sinner. But because of Jesus and his love for us came into this world, and he took care of all the details so that we could be forgiven of our sins by going to the cross and giving his life. And then three days later, he was resurrected. And the same will happen to you when you have a physical death here. It's amazing, this love that Jesus has for you. And if you've never responded to that, but I want to be very clear, it's when your heart aligns with the right information. What God is saying is the kingdom of heaven is yours. 
not by what you do, but by focusing on what Jesus has already done for you. And my hope is that you would receive that gift of salvation that only comes from him. Let's pray.